and welcome to the Glow Journal podcast, a conversation with the beautiful minds behind the world's biggest beauty brands. I'm your host, beauty writer Gemma Watts, and in this episode, I'm joined by the founder of Angela Kalia Skincare, Angela Kalia. What do Barbara Streisand, Sting, Chrissy Teigen, Naomi Watts and Helena Christensen have in common? Their esthetician, Angela Kalia. Even if you don't have a vested interest in skin or even in business, listening to Angela is so inspiring based on just how passionate she is about what she does. When she when she speaks about the skin, it is the vocal equivalent of someone's eyes lighting up as they talk. Born in California, Angela Carliart became infatuated with Paris after watching Elsa Clench on CNN. A summer spent studying abroad in the city served as Angela's introduction to spa facials, something of a foreign concept in the US at that time. Upon her return, Angela did a double take as she walked past a newly opened Yonkar salon, then walked in and asked if she could work on the front desk. From there, she became an esthetician, later working in New York before returning to Los Angeles and establishing herself as one of the world's most in-demand facialists. It was during a facial at Barbara Streisand's home in Malibu that Angela felt compelled to create her own line of products. A story best told by Angela but prompted when Barbara, inches from Angela's face, looked up into her eyes and said, and what's your dream? Between 2016 and 2017, Angela Kalia launched her namesake skincare collection and opened the Angela Kalia Skin Spa in Bel Air. This episode was recorded remotely, myself in Melbourne and Angela in LA. So if you would prefer to read the interview, you can find the complete transcript on glowjournal.com. Also, for anyone feeling stressed or who maybe needs something to lull them into a state of rest, listening to Angela very softly describe the sensory experience that is one of her signature rose quartz facials is the most relaxed I have felt in some months. In this conversation, Angela and I discuss the narrative surrounding men and skincare, how and why your skincare routine could be causing your skin concerns and how Sting's chef helped Angela with one of her most important facials ever. I understand that your personal beauty ethos is quite heavily influenced by a summer that you spent in Paris some 23 years ago, but I would love to rewind even further. What is your very earliest memory of beauty? My very earliest memory of beauty was as being a young girl, probably like eight years old. And my grandfather was a a big farmer and uh, he had apricots, plums, nectarines, grapes, and I come, I have a family of four and we would all go over and the kids would be like on the motorbikes and I would be playing with the fruit and putting it on my face and putting it on my parents' face and my sisters. And, you know, I was obsessed with, I think, skincare. I was making masks. I was grinding up the apricots, making scrubs, and it was kind of odd. So it just makes sense that I grew up to do this because 
I've always had an obsession with skincare. Well, technically you've been formulating since you were eight. Oh, there you go. Absolutely. Yes, I have. I'm going to have to adjust all of my things now. I'm like, you've been working in the beauty industry for 20 something years. Nope. Since you were eight. (laughs) So you, you majored in business in college, but when you were a child, other than making these masks, what did you think that you might be when you grew up? I remember in junior high, we were asked that question and we had to write like a report and draw a picture. And I, I wrote fashion designer. I wanted to be a fashion designer at the time. I think that's pretty common because it's all kind of inextricably linked, all of these creative industries. Yeah, I think so. Beauty, fashion, uh, women, designing for women, creating products for women primarily. I I have a lot of men that are obsessed with my line, which makes me so happy because it should be used by both. Absolutely. I do want to talk more about that. So you went to college, you majored in business, then you spent a summer studying in Paris at the Sorbonne, which is where your interest in skin was sort of ignited. I would love to hear more about that time. What was it about this Parisian approach to beauty that you found to be so interesting? Well, I was, it was my first trip outside of my small town in central California. And I grew up also when I was about eight or nine years old, I discovered on CNN, which just launched this show that Elsa Clench did. And she's Australian, by the way, mm. Elsa Clench. She had her own show and uh, she had a black bob, very chic. And it was a fashion and beauty, but mainly fashion. And she basically showcased Paris and all the runway shows. It was on every Saturday. So I, I would, you know, I came from a very small town and I would run in there while my brothers and sisters were asleep and I would turn the TV on and watch this this set in Paris, this fashion show, and Elsa Clench, who was so sophisticated talking about the fashions. So I, um, I kind of fell in love at that point, learning how sophisticated a lot of the Parisian women were. And then getting older, and when I finally got there, which was my dream, to, to study French, and I did study in high school too, by the way, but I didn't learn as much in high school. You really have to be there to get the ear. I studied yes. French in high school as well, and ah. the second exams finished, it just went out the window because it's all kind of in your short-term memory unless you're there and living in it. Exactly. So that's why I wanted to go. And when I got there, I was just amazed at how beautiful, and they, they weren't, you know, classically beautiful. They weren't perfectly beautiful, but they were, they were women and they had such confidence, you know, walking in the streets and I was spending time in cafes and I was just mesmerized how they could just put on red lipstick and just have no makeup on, no eye makeup and just beautiful, flawless skin. And it just seemed the focus was really about their skin versus their makeup, which is what I was experiencing with my mom, you know, growing up here in California. It was just about the makeup and covering up. Um, I, I just love their sense of confidence and honestly how, how their skin just radiated and spending time there, I, I learned about facials. And I walked by this, you know, in my neighborhood, I spent time in a few cities, but I would see these cute little um it, there was a big desk and there was a beautiful woman and there would be, and she would usually be in a lab coat and there would be a wall filled with products and there was no hair, no nails, which is what I was used to seeing. And mm-hmm. it was just skin and there was no activity, just a woman standing at a desk. So I was so curious and I just went in and I said, what is this? So it's the French that I could speak and basically had my first facial and uh, fell in love with the art of skincare. I loved uh, all of the different products that the Parisians were using and how they really glorified the the art of the facial. And when I came back, was in college, when I came back, 
I, um, I told my boyfriend at the time, you know, I'm really interested in, in facials and this facialist and he's, no one really knew what a facialist was here at that time. It was a strange word. Esthetician. Nobody knew what that was. <laughs> and um, most of the hotels were just hotels. They were not hotel and spa. Mm-hmm. So the spa business had not come to America yet. And he said, what, you want to be a hairdresser? And I'm like, no, it's, it's, it's face, facials. And sure enough, it, I mean, this is, must be serendipity, but I was walking in this really cute part of Carmel, which is where I, I lived in Carmel. It's in Northern California by San Francisco. I saw that same woman in a white coat, uh, beautiful, standing behind a desk and just a bureau of products. And I was like, wait a minute, this is just what, what I saw in Paris. And it had just opened, it was brand new. And it was the Yonka Paris Training Institute for the product line and for facialists. And her name was Chantal Toutain. And I went in and I said, listen, uh, I just got back from Paris. I'm you know, still in school getting my degree, but I want to be your receptionist. Let me sit at the desk. Let me learn this business. I was just drawn to it. And um, from that, I ended up uh, going to get my license uh, quite quickly after. Uh, she was running it herself with her husband, and I, I drove an hour and a half every day to San Jose to get my aesthetic license, and then I came back, and, and I was her first hire. That's kind of how it started. Wow. I was going to ask, because it's one thing to have an interest in something and to travel and to see something and think, okay, wow, this is really interesting. But then it's another thing entirely to want to turn that interest into your livelihood. So was there a specific moment maybe before you physically walked in that door and asked if you could be on the front desk? Do you think there was a specific moment where you realized, okay, this is a passion that I can actually turn into a career? Well, I was getting my MBA at the time, mm-hmm. the very uh, prestigious school. It was an MBA program, very hard to get in, in Monterey, Monterey um, Institute of International Studies. And I told my father, I said, listen, I really want to um, go become a facialist. And he was just like, oh boy, what? <laughs> you know. So it was a little disappointment with me because I was just like, I, this is calling me. And I didn't quite know the end game. Um, I, I grew up with a mother who was an entrepreneur. So I loved business, but I just, something was pulling me and I knew I had to be there. And at the time I was making really good money uh, when I did transition to be a facialist, uh, more than you make now, making a lot. And I wasn't quite sure, but I just knew that that's where I needed to be. Um, I didn't think I had in my mind yet that I would have a skincare line and, and do what I've done now. I mean, how can you predict that? Yeah. It's amazing. So there was that fateful day when you walked past the new Yonka salon and did a double take and went in and said, I would like to work here. When you were in those kind of, when your career was in its infancy, so to speak, were there any learnings that you took from that really early time that you find that you're still applying to your work now? Absolutely. A lot now. And I, it's nice to reflect and look at that. Um, Also, I worked for Yonka for I think a little over a year, we did a lot of trainings. And then I ended up opening my own spa in Carmel and I was only 23. So I still had that business entrepreneur spirit. It was literally one of the first spas in Carmel. And um, from that, I moved to New York City and that's a whole nother story. But I was there um, and I did open a spa at 23. God, at 23. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amazing. Cute spa. But I, um, in terms of what I've learned, yeah, I mean, it's just, I learned... And I'm very happy I learned with Yonka Paris, and it was with 
I mean, they basically invented the facial Parisians. So there's a real element to the way I was trained with Yanka. And we'll discuss the, the products, which are separate and which I really took a lot from that experience. But in terms of just giving a facial, um, I think, and I know that this may be a question later, but in terms of how the facial business has changed in the past 25 years, it's changed a lot. So when I first came onto the scene, no one knew what a facial was, and then they were popping up. Uh, Marcia Kilgore uh, had, what was the name? She had a, a place before Bliss, uh, which she had in New York. And this was, you know, 20 plus years ago. And she was the first one that got on the map with having uh, a facial studio. And um, she just had it filled with antiques and it was in a basement in New York. And she just started bringing women in to get facials. And then it grew, like she got funding and opened Bliss Spa and then it went everywhere and then products. But um, in terms of now, I think what's happened with, with facials, I think a lot of people have, have just capitalized, and the same with skincare products for that matter, have capitalized on the popularity of it and they've watered it down and they've made it almost fast food in some places in America where you can go in and get a $100 facial and you there's a partition and you lay there and what I found with that, uh, one, the experience isn't there and the training isn't there on the staff. And, um, you know, it's really, you have to be really knowledgeable, at least have really good training to work on someone's face. And you need to know a lot about ingredients. And a lot of times people come out from facials with um, breakouts immediately or the next day, or, or they were, someone used a comedone extractor and they pressed too hard and they started to scar from the actual you know, blackhead extraction, or appeal was too strong and they hyperpigmented. It's really complicated uh, to give a facial and there's a lot you need to know about the skin and the skin barrier. And so that's disheartening to see a lot of people just try to make money with it quickly and just hiring estheticians right out of school. Um, I'm also a certified aesthetic instructor when I was 28. See how bored I was? I just wanted to do things. <laughs> so I was working in a spa and then I, I taught estheticians uh, at night at a school and I taught them about the real world and, and giving facials and but what from that knowledge I learned that estheticians because I was given the curriculum you're only taught to have them pass the state board exam that's what the school is funded for so they only teach them to pass a state board exam they don't teach them a lot of the crucial things you need to be a good facialist in terms of knowing skin knowing how skin reacts knowing what ingredients are and what ingredients can do to the skin, knowing the pressure of how to do extractions, when not to do extractions, when not to do appeal. It's just, uh, you know, maybe it's just the American system, but it's only a six month program, 600 hours. It's and, not uh, just America. The Over here, I'm pretty sure anyone can operate a laser, which is frankly terrifying. You yeah. do it, you know, a short day of training and then ta-da. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think in New York, uh, estheticians can operate lasers, but in California, it's only uh, nurses and doctors. But yeah. So um, I don't like the way it's changed that way. They've taken away um, the ritual aspect of it. Uh, when I was trained with Yonka Paris, the French way, I mean, that woman who came in, there was a sensorial element to the products, the aromatherapy, uh, the textures were really light. I mean, the lights were dim. There was soft music, beautiful linens, you know, very French. And it made that experience more than just fixing your face. It made the experience uh, really kind of otherworldly. And, and I think we need that. And um, as women, 
I think we just more and more stressed these days. We're, we're running companies. We're taking care of our children. We're taking care of our husbands who sometimes can be children. And it's just a lot of work. And um, that facial moment is such a special moment. And giving facials, you know, over like 20,000 faces I've worked on, I call it, there's this moment where I just lose them, where at first they're kind of thinking of their job or what they're going to make for dinner and they're lay down, they've got, they're in the bed and they're not quite gone yet. And then there's just this moment within like usually five minutes where I just see them relax. And it's just this, you know, it's a self-care is what it is. And I wanted to recreate that. uh, And that's why I brought on the Rose Quartz tools with my uh, aromatherapy botanical skincare line. So just to bring that ritual home, because it's an emotional, can I speak? It's an emotional element I'm also addressing, not just a quick fix with your skin. It's it's kind of all encompassing. It's such an. I'm glad you've said self care as well, because so few of us actually afford ourselves the time to do to work through that ritual when it's it's the best thing ever. It really is. And it doesn't take a lot of time. Like I just did a live this morning with my facial in a mask sheet mask and I mm. used my sonic roller and it's just the mask just delivers so many wonderful things. There's no fragrance. There's no perfume. It's just a natural peptides, vitamin C. And then I infused it with that sonic roller, which just supercharged everything deeper into my skin. And it felt great. I mean, the rose quartz, the coolness of the stone, the vibration, it was otherworldly and it only took five minutes and I was really relaxed for those five minutes and then when I took the, the, the mask off I looked like I and felt like I just had a facial so the whole idea is to make these little mini rituals with my products and tools so people can recreate that at home and have facials every day <laughs> that's what we want we want to look and feel like we are not living in the middle of a global pandemic <laughs> any know, sort of distraction I, absolutely <laughs> so so you were working with Yonka then you opened your own salon and was it then that you moved to the Ulla Henriksen Day Spa? No, that was years later. Ah. I was working for Yonka. Um, That was my first job. I was like 23 and with the spa business. Mm -hmm. And then I wanted to open my own spa, which was, I had very big ambitions for a 23 year old. Yes. And I did. I opened a very small spa in Carmel uh, for facials and I did it for a little while, but you know, they call Carmel is really a beautiful resort town. It's mainly um, hotels and restaurants. They, they fondly call it the land of the newlywed or nearly dead because you have to be really rich to live there. Mm-hmm. So they're either retired or you go there to get married because it's so pretty. <laughs> so I was like 23 and I had my spa and I was just like, oh my God, is this going to be the end of my life? Like this is kind of boring. So I didn't want to just be that and stay there for all those years. So I had an itch to move to New York City and I sold my spa to a friend, a Belgian woman, and I moved to New York City at uh, like 25, I was 25 years old and bought a one-way ticket and had 500 bucks in my pocket and just moved to New York for four years. Amazing. And then what were you working as an esthetician in New York? Yeah, this is the interesting part um, because remember it was still quite new. So at the time, Frederick Frikai was really big in New York City. He had a big hair and spa. So I thought I'm going to walk into the best place in New York. I was 25 and I'm going to get a job at Frederick Fakai. Very nice on 57th street, right in the heart of Manhattan. I went in and it was beautiful, very elegant, elevated. Uh, I, I noticed I was interviewed and 
they only hired like Romanian women or, you know, they, they were only paying like $12 an hour. Like, right. I was like, oh, this isn't going to work for me. Mm. So I couldn't live in a city and only make that. Whereas when I was in Carmel, I was just paying a rent fee for my room. I was paying 800 a month and I was bringing in a lot. Mm. So um, then I decided in New York to work with a, a woman who was, was called Healing Hands. And she had on the Upper East Side, she was sending out massage therapists. She had a business like a delivery uh. massage and she wanted to bring in the facial element. So she hired me to be the facialist and we would go to celebrity apartments and it was very high end. And um, she also wanted to create a skincare line. So she uh, wanted me to help her with her skincare line. She was from Texas and had a lot of money and, and uh, she said, I'm just going to do this. So I, I gave her some tips, but I didn't stay with her that long. Um, it just didn't, I didn't want to carry a big massage bed up steps and stairs and get facials in New York. It was just a lot of work. <laughs> no, well, if you're giving the facial, you have to be in a certain sort of state of mind as well. And if you've, you know, hauling things up and down stairs, it's going to be very difficult to create a relaxing environment for someone. You're absolutely right. And when you go visit a home, you don't know where their, their outlets are to charge things. So you might be a little stressed because your cord won't reach or the positioning isn't right, or the chair, and the element of getting everything up, and you, you're sweating, and yeah. So yeah. Um, that didn't last for very long. And then I, I studied acting for a time. I studied at Lee Strasberg, and it was one of the reasons I wanted to move to New York. I'm like, wow, I'm 25. Let me just try this acting thing. And I, I got into the school, and I acted for a while, and I, I don't think I was meant to be an actress. I was a terrible actress. I couldn't lie. I couldn't. It was terrible. But I went there and I wanted to do it. I was just, the glamour of being an actress. I thought, I'm going to go to New York and study theater. And um, I was a terrible actress. <laughs> and then you realized what it was that you were meant to be doing, which is exactly what you're doing now. It yeah, called you back. It all fell into place. And that, that all fell into place at Ula Henriksen Spa when I moved back uh, to California and um, started working there was when it all fell into place. And I knew that this is where I needed to be. I started working on a lot of celebrities. They were telling their friends. I was surrounding myself with people that were really empowering me and my knowledge of skin. And they wanted to come and they wanted to spend, uh, you know, time and, and they wanted to spend their hard-earned dollars and, and get facials on a regular basis. So that was really empowering. That's amazing. So you were the the lead esthetician there. You've mentioned that you started looking after celebrities. I mean, the the list of names, Helena Christensen, Chrissy Teigen, Minnie Driver, just to name a few. There's more that we obviously can't mention and more that I will shortly. But what do you think it is about your approach to skin that you think resonates with so many people? That's a great question. And and also I had to work to get those clients. Helena Christensen, she was really my first celebrity. I was working at Equinox at the time in their spa right before I went to Ula Henriksen mm -hmm. here in Los Angeles. And I walked in and I saw her name on um, kind of the computer. She was getting a massage from my friend who was giving her a massage. And I thought, wow, Elena Christensen. Oh, my God, I loved her. So I, I went quickly and wrote on a piece of paper, offer her a free facial after the massage. And I threw it under my friend's door. Genius. And I wasn't supposed to be doing that. It wasn't my spa. It was a you know corporation. And... Um, I learned all that hustle from spending some time in New York, which helped me a lot. And when Helena came out, my friend introduced me to her. And 
Elena didn't have time that day, but she was very gracious and said, I'd love to come back tomorrow to get one. So she came back the next day and we ended up becoming quite close friends. She's still one of my closest friends today. That was like eight years ago. And um, she had a lot of influence as well on my creating products. I would send her products and say, well, do you like this? What do you think of this? And this was before I launched years ago. So um, in terms of though dealing with celebrities, and I've watched this because when I did work at Ula Henriksen, I saw other facialists um, come up when I had one leave and they would start talking to them about a movie or something that they were in. I was just like, oh no, please don't do that. The thing is you just treat them like people and you don't ever ask about their career unless they happen to mention it. And usually they didn't. And I really just enjoyed them and I got to know them um, from a human standpoint. And I think they appreciated that and they felt my authenticity and my sincerity in really doing what I do. I'm there to make their skin better. And uh, that's what I did when they were in the room. But I also gave them a warm cocoon place to go where they felt safe. And um, I think that's what resonated most with my celebrity clients because they would refer their other celebrity clients to me. And that's how I built with that trust. It would be a welcome relief for them to not have someone fawning over them just to have that, <laughs> you know hour or so of just escape yeah but I do have to admit when I worked on sting <laughs> yes awesome. I mean I had to like tell myself do not fawn. not anyway I I went to his home in in Malibu I was sent out uh referred by one of his other celebrity friends and this is a good story I I went and I had to lug all my stuff. I had the Uber driver, please help me carry this stuff in because I had no one with me. And he helped me carry some of my stuff because I bring a lot of stuff to give the facial. And there was a chef and a woman who was, I think, his house cleaner. They both were there in this beautiful mansion right on the water. And um, they said, yes, you can go ahead and set up. You're going to be giving the facial up there. And they pointed. And I looked and it was like this, it was his bedroom that overlooked the water and it had a huge fireplace and I was like nervous I'm like oh my god I'm giving a facial in this beautiful room and um so I set up and I went down and he was just got on the table was laying there and I thought to myself I go what music do you play for sting like how am I gonna mess this up what music would I play for this guy for his facial to relax him so I went downstairs, I said, excuse me, and I went downstairs and I asked the chef, like, what music does he like? And he said, oh, he loves Mozart or Beethoven. I never would have thought that. So I went up and all of a sudden, bam, I turn on like Mozart and I begin the facial. And he was just like, oh, I love your music. And so, but I think the fact that I did that shows how much I care about their experience. And they sense that. He didn't know that I did that. He'll never know. But the fact that I want that experience to be so lovely for them, I think is why they enjoy the experience and, and recommend their friends. It's putting the client first, which you would think yeah. would be a given, but unfortunately, not always. Yeah, yeah unfortunately, it's not. <laughs> While we're talking celebrity clientele, another Barbara Streisand, I mean, incredible. Oh. Oh. I I read that um, it was while you were giving Barbara Streisand, I've got to use her full name, while you were giving her yes. a facial, it was then that the idea for your namesake brand kind of came to be. It's true. It's unbelievable. I, I was working at Ula Henriksen Spa and he had just sold the spa. 
somebody else had taken it over who really is a nice guy, but didn't, you know, have that skill set to really make his uh, people that worked for him happy, I think, um, at least not for me. And I, I um, gave a young woman a facial and I was already working on celebrities at, at the time. And I just asked her what she did, which is normal conversation as you're giving a facial. And, and she said, you know, I'm, I'm Barbara Streisand's assistant. And right away, I just, my mind went right to my New York hustle days. And I just said, wow, um, if you ever want to give her a facial, you can say it's from you. I'd be happy to give her a complimentary facial. Just because I loved Barbara Streisand. Yeah. Wow. Who doesn't? I was just like, ah. Oh. And I didn't expect her to say, oh, her birthday's next week. Let me ask the team. And I was like, oh, God, this might happen. <laughs> you know, it's just, I didn't expect that. And sure enough, she sent me an email the next day and said, we've uh, asked Barbara, because you don't just surprise Barbara with a facial. Barbara needs to be aware of what's happening, even on her birthday. And Barbara approved and would let, she didn't tell me this, but I just know because I know Barbara now. But it was approved by Barbara. You are to come and give her a facial for her birthday. It's a gift from the staff, Angela. And come in two days. And here's the address in Malibu. And I was just like, wow, this is so great. So I brought all my stuff. I drove out there. And I remember sitting in my uh, SUV. I've never been more nervous to give a facial. And I was already working on major people, but this was just Barbara. I grew up watching all of her films. My mother was obsessed with her. I love her music. And um, I went in and her assistant greeted me. And she said, you know, Barbara has a facial room. I'm like, oh, of course she has a facial room. So at least I didn't have to bring a lot of the equipment. I brought some. And um, it was a two-hour facial. I've never given a two-hour facial. Barbara talked the whole time. Wow. And I was told either she loves you or hates you, um, that there's no in-between. Like some people that work for her fear her. She's just, you know, she's Barbara. Sure. And she has every, every right to be. So luckily she liked me. And she talked the whole time. And I told her how much gentle meant to me as a young girl. Because my mother uh, said, Angela, look, this is the first female producer, writer, star of a film, Barbara Streisand. She did all of this, and director. And I was just like, wow. And she was playing a man, Yentl. And I was just amazed at that empowering statement. And I let Barbara know. I said, I remember my mom telling me this. And, you know, I love that movie. And she said, it's too bad that it hasn't come farther since in terms of women mm -hmm. doing all these things which is a typical Barbara statement, which is very true. And then she said, I was 40 when I did that. And then she said, how old are you? And I, and she looked up at me and I looked down and I said, 40. And then she looked up with her eyes piercing right in my face, like just 10 inches from me and said, well, what's your dream? And I've never really had anyone like Barbara Streisand, like, you know, 10 inches from my face, look at me and say, what's your dream? I had just gone through a divorce. I was over 40. I was working at a spa. My hours were cut just because the, the things were being cut. A lot of people were being cut. Changes were happening. We weren't that happy. And I had Barbara Streisand say, what's your dream? And I, um, I just looked at her and I just said to have a skincare line. And I just answered her. And I didn't even think about that before I walked in her door. Um, maybe I did, but not very, not in a serious way. And after that facial, uh, she took me up into her bathroom. She said, Angela, come with me. I want you to, I want to show you my products. I want you to look and tell me what I should be using. I just don't know. I have so many products. Everybody sends me products. So I go up and it literally looked like a Mecca store. It had products everywhere in her gorgeous pink bathroom. So I grabbed, luckily I know so many products. I know everything about products. So I grabbed, you know, the ones that I thought she should be using for her skin, laid them out, told her how to use them. And uh, I left. And when I left, 
I left so empowered that I was going to start that skincare line. You know, she asked me, she made me feel empowered by saying, what should I be using? You know, basically like, you know, a lot, what should I be using? And, and we talked a lot about you. Yeah, she did. And I, I left and I was like, I'm going to find a lab. And this was uh, eight or nine years ago, eight years ago. And no one knew about clean beauty at the time. Tata Harper had just launched, like literally just launched. And I had tried her products. I loved how elevated her, her line is and beautiful. And that was inspiring to me. And I also know a lot about skin and I didn't want to use too many essential oils because I didn't want to sensitize a lot of skin. So I knew it was going to be clean and natural and I wanted it basically to be the best ingredients. And, and I worked a lot of years to get to the point I am, where I am now with the products. And you did it. So where yeah. did you go from there? You've left Barbara's house. You're feeling empowered. How did you go about finding a lab? How did you, you know, look at what products you would launch with, source ingredients? Where does one go? Yeah. Uh, well, that was the interesting part because of the internet, I was able to research labs from all over the United States. And there were quite a few. And I would call and talk with them, ask for, you know, uh, catalogs. And this was eight or nine years ago. And they all said, oh, yeah, sure, I do natural. Yeah, of course. Well, none of them did. Like they were just saying it was natural. The ingredients had silicones, colorants, fragrance. It was not what I wanted. So it took me literally a year to find a lab that really was authentically a natural lab this long ago. Very, very hard to find. Now it's much easier to find, but back then not. So it took me a whole year to find the lab. And this lab was located in Oregon, which is in the Pacific Northwest of the United States. And there's a flower grown there. Uh, it's called the Lanthus alba, and it produces meadow foam seed oil. And it's indigenous to that area only. And the lab was that I was working with, I finally found a, a, a real natural lab. They had it on their list. So I'm like, what is this? I know of argon oil. I know of jojoba oil. What is this meadow foam seed oil? And I said, please send some to me. So while I was playing with their products and the oils, I was incorporating that meadow foam seed oil with what I was doing in my facial treatment room. So I would um, actually bring some of my products. I would do one part of the facial with that product and I would see the difference in the skin. And I saw the molecular structure of the meadow foam seed oil is similar to our own sebum. So it's able to penetrate deep down into the skin. And as we age, we lose a lot of sebum production. So this is like a kiss of youth infusing it back. It's also great for um, acne prone or inflammation in the skin and it delivers a lot of essential fatty acids. And it also protects from trans epidermal water loss, which can have everyone, anyone look more um, older than they should be losing all of that. So I just built a, my skincare line around that. And the first product was my souffle moisturizer. Iconic. And I made sure it had meadow foam seed oil in it. And I wanted the first ingredient not to be water, but it's olive vera juice. I didn't want it to have any, any scent, no essential oil, nothing. Just, there's vitamin C, there's goat milk to calm redness and eczema. And that, to this day, is still my hero uh, skew product. I think play. it's so telling when the product that you launch with is still a bestseller. I think it just shows yeah. how much work went in behind the scenes. Yes, yeah. And it, and it works well with the rest of my products too. Like you can do a few drops of the Daily Botanical and you can infuse it with the souffle and put it together. It's just... Everything is made to kind of work together and synergistically. So while you were developing the brand, just in case you didn't have enough on your plate, that's also when you opened the Angela Kalia Skin Spa in Bel Air 2016. Yeah. 
just launching a brand and opening a spa all at once. What led you to open your own spa? What did you feel was missing from the existing offering? I'll tell you. I I cultivated a great group of celebrities and non-celebrities, just amazing women. And one of those women, uh, her name is Shannon Delamore. She was a regular client of mine. She founded Glam Glow, Ah, which is an amazing mask. Mm. So she launched with a mask and we were friends. I was her facialist and she would ask me for a lot of advice on skin. I would give it to her. She would come regularly. And she asked me one day, she said, Angela, and I'm just a facialist over there. Would you please go on QVC for me? I, uh, I'm, I'm not really liking doing that. And I would rather you go as a celebrity facialist on QVC. First, I said, no. I go, Shannon, no, that's terrible. I just, millions of people watching, no thanks. And then she asked again and again. And she's like, no, I hate it. Please go on for me. So I went on for her. I flew out to Pennsylvania and sold her mask on QVC. And I made all my numbers. It was a good experience. And then I went back and did it again. And funny story, at one point when I went back the second time, I walked in. It's a huge studio. I saw on screen Ula Henriksen. He was there. He was on on live at that moment. And I wasn't supposed to be there. It was like outside of work. And so I was I was like, I had to go hide in the makeup room. I'm like, oh no, I don't want him to see that I'm all the way here talking about you know, glam glow, but it was a great experience. And again, it empowered me that uh, people believed in what I was doing. And um, yeah, that's right. What was the question? Why you opened to <laughs> the spa, but that's, that's yeah. it. You were empowered. Yeah, I was empowered. And then, you know, when you become empowered and you, you have this dedication to excellence, um, Ula had sold the spa, so he wasn't there anymore. He, he had the dedication to excellence. He was gone. So it started to fall a little bit. And when I had my, my clients come in, I had that dedication to excellence. Like when they check out, I wanted the receptionist to be at the front desk, not in the back. I didn't want to charge them for a coffee. That should be free. So I became very protective of my clients. And I wanted that experience to be really lovely. And it wasn't anymore. It was, it was declining a little bit. And I, that stressed me out. And I don't want to stress as a facialist. So I kind of knew, and then I started to create protocols that were not on the menu. And uh, I started to do facials the way I wanted to do them. I thought some uh, protocols were redundant and it didn't make sense and, and it, just, it, it wasn't working. So I created my own and started to do a lot of those facials. And I think a lot of people might have resented that. But really, I was just thinking for my client doing the best facial. And um, I knew it was time to go. And one of my clients, remember, I was divorced and still didn't have very much money because my hours were cut, very limited. Mm. And um, one of my clients, who's a celebrity client, but I won't mention his name, but he gave me a check. He said, you need to get out of here. You, I know you need to open your own place, do your own stuff. Here's this. And, and it wasn't a tremendous amount. It wasn't a crazy amount. But he said, I want you to pay me back when this means nothing to you. When you have this money, it doesn't mean much at all. And it was like $10,000. And I opened my own studio in Bel Air with that. And the reason I opened it was to do the skincare line. You can't have a skincare line working as someone else with someone else. So I wanted mm-hmm. to open my own spa. And luckily, all of my celebrities followed, which was great. Uh, Mini Driver is a regular too. And Amazing. so they, they, they came, which you never know when you leave and open your own place that they'll come. And they came and they're regulars. And I started introducing my products to them at that time. And I started to use my products in Back Bar. And they were amazed by them and they encouraged me to bring them to market. And that's kind of how that started. 
and bring them to market you did. So how does the product development process work for you from conceptualization through to the product being available for consumers? Well, I think it's great that I'm a facialist. So I'm actually doing the work. Uh, the, the market research is there. I'm talking to the women. I'm finding out their concerns. I know I have my own knowledge base of skincare and, and how it reacts to certain ingredients. So every product that I bring to market, I have like basically tested on all of my clients. And there's this moment of like, if they don't, if I don't hear this, like, ooh, that smells good, or ooh, that feels good, then I know that this might be a dud. So I introduce without saying what I'm doing, and I'll just put it in with their their mm-hmm. facial. And um, I'll usually give them some, and I'll send them to my celebrity clients and get their feedback. And But in terms of creating the formulations, they're you know, I had really great advice given to me by Shannon of Glam Glow. She gave me one piece of advice and this was it. She said, Angela, just create the products you want for yourself. I'm like, oh, well, that's easy. Okay, this is what I want. I want a really light cleansing oil. This is what I want to use. I want to do this, this, and this. So I went about it that way. And it turns out a lot of other people wanted the same thing. So um, in terms of the products, I just make sure that they don't have ingredients that I see that sensitize the lipid barrier. My whole focus is protecting and nourishing the lipid barrier. There are so many products out there that have ingredients that strip the lipid barrier, that sensitize the lipid barrier, that give you bumps, make you red, make you flake, make you t- tight and dry. And it's unbelievable. And, and of course they do. Like the minute I look at the ingredient deck, I see, I'm like, do you see what the second ingredient is? Like if they knew that they would never be putting it on their face. So it's just the integrity behind the formulations and the connection to my clients. I'll never stop giving facials, whether it's, I mean, it's gone down. I'm doing like, you know, obviously now I'm not as much at all, but I, I always want to do at least 20% facials and 80% running this company because um, I feel it's really important that I keep that connection to my client because they're the ones that inspire me to create really, really good products. And I have them in mind when I'm formulating. Mm-hmm. Your The products themselves are influenced by those early learnings that you took from when you were in Paris and started learning more and more about the skin. And you've been really globally praised for balancing those French elements with a more, I guess, American approach to skin, if you will. What yes. is the difference between the French and the US approaches to beauty and how would you define your specific approach? I think Americans, in terms of their obsession with cleaning, uh, cleaning their bathroom, cleaning their toilets, making sure everything's clean, they're used to getting these big powerful ingredients that soap and, and, and sud and, and strip, and they think that's what I need when I cleanse. That's how I'm really going to get clean. They want the immediate satisfaction, the fix, and they also think, oh, I need a vitamin C, I need a retinol, I need the peel pad, and they think they need all of it at once. And they're just so determined to look great because of the influences of the media in terms of, you know, Instagram and and the Photoshopping and the celebrities. It's just they want this quick fix. And I think they're not really doing the research on what they're actually putting on their face. And they don't know. They trust. And I I get that. Uh, It's just there's not a lot of regulation, at least here in the U.S., on what you say on your products. Um, you can say things even on your Instagram just that aren't true and they may highlight a certain product or ingredient and it may be the second to the last. It could just be mm-hmm. marketing levels and it's not really like a green tea cleanser, for example. It could be like second to the last. It could be a lot of chemicals and foaming agents. 
Away from the topical skincare products, you've also, we've touched on the rose quartz tools. They've become something of a signature of yours. What is the, oh, stunning. What are some of the benefits of rose quartz for the skin? I know that I love it, but what mm-hmm. what is it actually doing? Well, there's a couple reasons I launched. I launched with the La Vie on Rose Quartz Roller three years ago. So I was one of the first to launch with a roller with their skincare line. Now everyone is launching with the roller. But and not the reason all rollers I, are made the same. That's very thank you. important to know. I know. Some of them are really, yeah, they fall apart. But this mm. is really solid. Just with everything I do, I try and make it as high quality as possible. Um, the reason I wanted to launch with the Rose Quartz well, being I was an esthetician for so many years, I sold a lot of the gadgets and the expensive gadgets. And what I found were my clients would come back, you know, every month for their facial and I'd say, hey, did you use that, you know, i.e. microcurrent device or did you use that? Like, yeah, I used it the first couple of months, but now it's in a drawer and I never use it. Angela, just go ahead and do what you do to me. I'm like, oh, you have something that works and you're not using it. So I kind of wanted to make it where I knew they would use it so it was easy got to be easy and it had to be beautiful almost like jewelry for them to cherish it and want mm-hmm. to hold it and not just lose it and you know have it just go somewhere in the corner of the room so I kind of did I guess it would be a little manipulation like I wanted to make this as beautiful as possible and luxury as possible and easy as possible so they would actually use it and sure enough they started using it and the trend hit but um it works because of the coldness of the stone. But one of the reasons I wanted to, and rose quartz, by the way, is the densest, most cold of all the stones, even colder than jade or amethyst, which is good to know. But the reason I, I chose to go with the rose quartz was because I'm a facialist. And when I use my hands, there's an energy that I give when I give facials. It's a love energy. It's a self-esteem boosting energy. I say things that will boost their self-esteem. One of the first things you do when you look at the diopter lens and you look at them magnified 10 times, that's a very vulnerable position for anyone, mm, even very. for me to be in. Someone with a bright light looking at you so close up. So one of the first things I always say is give them a compliment first because it's really hard to be under that light being magnified. So there's a love that I give when I give facials to, bu- to build their self-esteem. So this is a self-esteem boosting crystal with a love energy. And I wanted that to be rolled on their skin if I can't be there. But mainly it's because it works and it goes back thousands of years. It helps the puffiness in the dark circles. It calms inflammation. You can dip it in hot water and you can dry it. And then you have a warm stone that'll help over my sheet mask to penetrate the serum of the sheet mask and also to penetrate anything deeper into your skin with the heat. The coldness helps with the puffiness and the dark circles to calm inflammation. Amazing. That's what I'll be doing after this. I can't, <laughs> I can't survive without my rollers. Another pro- or collection of products, not a product, that is of particular interest to me are your rose quartz, the eye, face and decollete masks. For those yes. who haven't seen them, could you please describe them for us and how do they work? Yeah. I, you know, again, it goes back to working in the treatment room and being a facialist. I, I want to create that beautiful relaxing experience. I want them to have that escape moment. That's what I live for when I give facials. Like I'm there to do my work, but I'm also there to make them really relax. So what was great with the rose quartz, you know, I started with the roller and I thought there's got to be a way to expand this. So with the face mask, 
I designed the rose quartz face mask and actually I'm talking about the eye mask first. Mm -hmm. That was the first one was the rose quartz eye mask. I wanted to lay that over their eyes to help with the puffiness and dark circles and to put it over their sheet mask just to really zone out during their facial. And then I had an idea. I'm like, why stop there? I want to do the full face. And then I was inspired by the the, um, anxiety blankets. So I wanted to do a weighted chest blanket of rose quartz along with the full face. And the reason I wanted the full face was because I use a lot of different equipment and I do some you know, types of lasers that estheticians can use here that do heat up the skin. So with that hour and a half facial, there's a lot of things I do and I need to get the skin cold again quickly. So instead of using the roller all over the face, I wanted to just lay this blanket of rose quartz crystals to get it cold. So I would lay that and I would, when I would take it off after a couple of minutes, the skin would be really cold to the touch. So it worked for me on a practical level because then I could go in and do the peel because the Mm -hmm. skin was cold. I didn't want it to be warm from whatever heated thing I just did to build collagen. So, and then I noticed again, using it only from a practical standpoint, realizing how much my client loved it. The moment, I'll never forget the moment I laid the chest piece on and she just stopped talking. She wouldn't even talk to me. She was so just like, just so soothed and relaxed and same thing with the face. And I thought it was just going to be for my treatment but I put it on Instagram and people wanted to buy it. So now the full face is available exclusive to my website and also at Lane Crawford in uh, Hong Kong for selling it too. Amazing. I mean, it comes back to your whole, I guess, goal for your skincare line, which is for people anywhere in the world to be able to recreate and experience your facials from home. One particular treatment that has I mean, it's got a cult following at this point, is the signature treatment, the Levion Rose Power Facial. Yes. Now, the only thing that I find more relaxing than actually having a facial is listening to an esthetician describe a facial. So what does <laughs> this particular facial entail? Well, I kind of went over it a little bit. It does include uh, changing the temperatures on the skin, lifting and sculpting. Uh, we do a, a mini peel. And I always try and balance, you know, I use a lot of high tech equipment, but then I'll use two of my La Vie on Rose Quartz rollers, not one, two. And it's almost like a dance on the face and I'll do it in a lymphatic drainage way. And it feels like two cold hands and it feels really nice using two and very lightly. You don't need to press hard at all. And then I incorporate, you know, I always include a lot of massage. I think that's important. I'll do lymphatic drainage massage. I'll do a sculpting massage. I have a massage where I really sculpt up the cheekbones with my knuckles. And that's why I created my gua sha, which is shaped like my yes. knuckles, which will be launching at Mecca very soon, my, my gua sha. It's a rose quartz gua sha with the shape of my knuckles. So you can get in and really sculpt out your cheekbones Amazing. and chisel. But yeah, I do a lot of balancing with that facial. You have the aromatherapy of my products. You have, um, it, it's every element. It's the sheets. It's my voice. It's the music. It's the lighting. It's the temperature. It's um, doing the high tech and then bringing in right after a high tech machine, doing something soft with the rose quartz. It's really soothing. And I always have them look in the mirror when they're done. And I love, that's my favorite part. It's when they're like, wow, my skin looks so good. That's the most satisfying part the end of the facial well I know who I'll be visiting when we're allowed to travel again oh good while we're on in spa and in salon facials you mentioned sting earlier I meant how could Mm -hmm. you not when I first 
read that you've looked after Sting, I started thinking about men and beauty treatments and this very strange stigma that surrounds the two that I still can't quite wrap my head around. Why do you think that stigma still exists? Why do you think so many men are reluctant to actually look after their skin? That's a really good question. I, I think it has to do with they don't really pay much attention to their face except to shave. And women, we get our eyelashes curled, we put makeup on, we have a lot more focus on her, our face. Men, I think it's more maybe their biceps or jogging. Or, they just, they don't take enough care for their face. And I, and I'm glad you brought that up because I'm still working on how to kind of change the narrative on that. Because when I, even my husband, who is my business partner, I mean, we have this skincare line and he, I'm like, I'll touch his forehead and it's so dry and it's aging him because it's so dry. I'm like, honey, why don't you put some of the daily botanical on or the souffle? I mean, we have a skincare line. And he's like, oh, no. And I'm like, oh, my God. So I'll go and put it on him and I'll do a nice massage. But why can't he? So I, I should probably just start asking a lot of men, why can't you go and apply? I, I don't think that do they feel like they're being too feminine? I, I don't know. Potentially. Well, I'll, I'm asking the same questions. So when we figure it out, we'll reconvene and go from there. Please. Yeah. We got to change this. I mean, they would look so much better. I want to look at my husband when he's dewy and bright. Like he's after I get off, I'm going to go put some souffle on him. <laughs> Why not? Does male skin need to be treated differently to female skin? Most of male skin does. They have more sebaceous glands and uh, that means more oral production and they have more blackheads. They have a, actually a thicker skin a little bit in terms of the epidermis um yeah and there's also something to be said about men a lot of them age well and they don't do as much to their face so there's something we can learn from men as well you know for example you have a husband and wife and a wife who's doing all sorts of things to her skin and it's just so out of whack and he's just aging fine so i think they they can learn from us and we can learn from them i think less is more and and they have that down, but they just need to do a little more. Well, it comes back to what you were saying about how people just want their skin to feel clean. I feel like people's first instinct, if their skin's not looking all that great, is to just strip it of everything. And then they strip it again and again. Like they'll use the peel pad and they'll get a great result because they needed it. They needed that exfoliation. And then they'll do it again the second night and third night. And then they have a problem. So just knowing when to stop. Mm, the like, is a very powerful results. thing. Yeah, yeah. You are working with the skin each and every day. What is the most common concern that you're presented with? Oh, that's a good question. You know, when I ask that, because whenever I give a facial, I ask, because there's no use me giving a facial and thinking, oh, God, you have blackheads. I've really got to work on that. When their concern may be fine lines around their eyes. So I always ask, what are your biggest skincare concerns? Not what I'm concerned with their faces, with theirs are. So what I find they say usually is sometimes it's a blanket answer. Like I just want to be younger. I want to look younger. Other times it's just like, I want to look brighter and dewier. So the brightness and the dewiness. um, Yeah. That's usually what I hear. Mm -hmm. And how do we remedy that? You use my, my uh, products with my lipid lock technology, which actually helps to protect and nourish the lipid barrier to deliver everything where it is bright and nourished and dewy all the time. Well, that's where that glow comes from. And I feel like so much of that dewiness is stripped away from us because everything's polluted now and we're sitting under air conditioners and heaters and yes, everything. Exactly. Mm. 
you have been part of the beauty industry for 23 years now or longer if we look back to when you were eight and making yeah. face masks. I'm happy to uh-huh. extend that out a bit. What now are some I feel of, really old. <laughs> you don't look <laughs> it though. That's, that's what I'm going off. What are some of the biggest changes that you've seen within the beauty industry over that time? Uh, in terms of the way people care for their skin or? Probably more from an, maybe an industry standpoint. Maybe we'll do both. Okay. Um, Definitely what I've seen over the past 10 years are women in their 30s breaking out. Mm -hmm. And that never happened before. Remember, I've been giving facials for actually 25 years. And that was never a problem. The only people breaking out ever were the people in their, you know, late teens or 20s. You were not breaking out in your 30s. And this, there's been many conversations around this. Some people think it's the environment. Some people think it's um, the stress levels, um, what they're eating, uh, what's happening, why are these mainly women breaking out later than normal than they should be. And what I've come to decide with my experience is thinking back through all the years of knowing these women, they weren't really using very many products 10 years ago. The past 10 years is when they started buying more products. They started using a bunch of products. I contend that it's the products that are actually exacerbating and causing breakouts by disrupting their lipid barrier. It's shocking to me when I read on uh, different portals, women talking about the products they're using, or I'll get emails saying, Angela, I'm using all of these things, or I'll do virtual consults, which I've been doing the lockdown for free, just because I want to communicate with women and find Mm -hmm. out what they're using. And it blows my mind. And, um, What's even scarier is they don't know, and it's the ingredients in the products are really breaking them out. I think it's diamethicone, is, and that's in a lot of products still that clogs your pores. Uh, it's really just that. That's why they're breaking out more, I think. Mm-hmm. And from, I guess, an industry or sort of trend standpoint, what are some changes you've seen in that sphere? Well, yeah, I, I'm not a fan of the fast food facial. Now they're popping up everywhere where you, like I said, you go and you lay down and you spend 120 bucks and you get a facial. Well, it's it's not really a facial. It's it, it's um, someone putting products on you and then charging you 100 bucks and then you, you leave. I created the skincare line and tools because I have my experience in creating these products that are synergistic. I'm giving you the tools. So I want to give you that facial experience for less than $100 and you don't even have to leave your house and you'll get a better result. So if you want to do the facial fast and not pay so much money, I get that. I mean, my facials are upwards of $400 when I give them. That's expensive. Not everyone can afford that. And that's why I created the tools and the products. So you can create your own facial at home. And I'm hoping that's the future of the business. Either you pay for someone's experience and you get that incredible facial or you're able to use your own products and, and just have a moment where you dim the, the lights and you have the candles and you have the music and you shut the door. And it could be just five minutes, but it could be five minutes every day and, and, and you'll, your skin will look better and you'll feel better. We've talked about the past. What changes do you think we can expect to see from the beauty industry over the next few years? That's a good question. Um, the changes in the beauty industry, oh, thank God it's going more clean. That's like the most exciting part. Mm. Um, there won't be a differentiation. Uh, when I designed my boxes, I designed these three years ago. And, you know, being I'm a clean luxury line, 
you couldn't really tell that I was a clean line because I knew that this is the future and you don't need to have an amber bottle with, you know, it doesn't need to look, you know, clean and there we go. So it was very chic. I was inspired by a Tom Ford bottle, like a perfume bottle. So I, I, I didn't think that, um, I mean, this would be the norm and I knew that. So it'll even be more the norm. And that means uh, women, your skin will get better. We won't have all these breakouts because there's a lot of transparency and people have to be more transparent and they're starting to be. And um, also the consumer is so much more educated. And even if they're not transparent, they'll find a way to get the information and, and know that they want to use something that's actually going to benefit their skin and not sensitize it. And they're not paying for just a marketing budget or a celebrity who happened to endorse it, who has, you know, some skin in the game with the uh, product line. So I think there's, and I know that influencers are big right now with uh, skincare lines and um, before they were big with fashion lines because fashion was big. Now beauty's big. So of course the celebrities are now have beauty lines. I think that will dissipate uh, because I think that people want expertise and they want to trust. And I think that if you have a, you know, an influencer pop up every, you know, all the time with a skincare line and they're also promoting other things. It just, there's not a lot of authenticity there. Uh, of course, there are exceptions, and I commend them. But in terms of, in general, I, I don't think that that's the wave of the future in terms of um, skincare. I think um, it's going to be definitely cleaner and healthier and only better. So it's exciting. My final question, what is next for Angela Kalia Skincare? Ah, that's a perfect follow-up and final question. It's to uh, expand and uh, be bigger in terms of I'm making a bunch of different collections within my product line. Uh, I do have the lipid lock technology that will be in all of my different collections of products. For example, I have one that the hero is the lipid lock and, and nourishing the skin and plumping the skin. I'll do another one that will be like a resurfacing collection. So the cleanser, the moisturizer, the serum, everything will be have an element of resurfacing. And then I'll do another one that will be more of an antioxidant, a vitamin C inspired or a rose inspired. And you're able to mix, like let's say you want that resurfacer, you can buy it with this collection or you can stick to that one resurfacing collection. So building out different pods of collections, I'd also like to create a clean uh, skincare makeup line because they go together. Why would you use clean skincare and not use clean makeup? That was Angela Kalia, celebrity esthetician and founder of Angela Kalia Skincare, which you can find on Instagram at Angela Kalia Skincare. To read this interview, you can visit glowjournal.com and for more beauty news, you can find me on Instagram at gemkwatts or at glow.journal. If you liked this episode, please do not forget to subscribe, rate, review and share so other beauty and business lovers can find us. I'm Gemma Watts. You've been listening to the Glow Journal podcast and thank you for joining me.